Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. This week's guest is Jeanette LeBlanc. Jeanette LeBlanc is a writer, photographer, inspirationist, and lover to her muse. She speaks the hard and dirty truths about showing up to your work, even and especially when the rest of the world is getting you down. She is a huntress, stalking wisdom like a warrior, and falls prey to the shadows that dance on whiskey moons and silver-backed muses who dance in the light of truth. Jeanette, I am so happy to have you here with me today. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So I want to talk to you today about what writing is for you and some of the ways that you work through your craft uh, as you exist in the world as a writer and as a change maker. So what is writing for you? I had no intention of ever being a writer uh, or becoming a writer or didn't set any um, specific goal behind becoming that. I went to school and did my science degree and was a clinical research coordinator. And writing was just something that happened as a sideline, uh, mostly after becoming a mother. Uh, And the journey kind of twisted and turned from there. And it took me a long time to use that word writer for myself. So I don't know if I have a clear answer to that question. Um, I think writing is, uh, being a writer is something I am instead of something I do. Definitely. How do you choose when you're writing, how do you choose what is for you and what you share publicly with others? I began sharing my journey um, in a typical kind of mommy blog way in the pre-blog days, actually. Uh, and shared a very kind of cleaned up and prettied version of that. Um, but I think my writing got a lot more honest um, when I began an anonymous blog during the year that I came out and left my marriage. And that taught me a lot about the freedom of letting it all out into the world. And now the dance, uh, once I let go of that anonymity and you know, fully came out as a writer as well, uh, there is a dance between what is shared and what is not and finding a way within the craft of writing to write full truth without betraying um, the stories, the parts of the story that belong to other people. So that's kind of something that teases out moment by moment when I'm writing, I think. Sometimes it's a matter of time and I hold things for quite a long period of time until it seems um, safe or respectful to share. So something that's shared this year may actually have been written two years ago uh, or initially written two years ago, but it wasn't time to tell that story yet or it wasn't right to tell that story yet. I think that's a really important thing to remember when we are writing nonfiction mm-hmm. uh, or for, for myself and I think for you as well, writing our truths and writing our true experiences is how we balance what is our story to tell What is someone else's story and how do we find the line between them? Mm -hmm. When you are, uh, when you are finding that balance, are there strategies that you use? Are there ways that you try to decide, oh, this is my story or, oh, this isn't my story. I, I shouldn't, I can't tell this part of it. How do you find that balance when you're in the middle of the writing? When I'm in the middle of the writing, I think I just let it all come out. I think that that dance comes more to what and when I choose to share something. 
I don't do very well with filtering my writing when I'm letting it out. If I do filter, it doesn't, it doesn't come out true on the page. So writing wise, I usually let it pour out. And then there's a more conscious decision about what and when to share a piece. Um, sorry, when to share a piece, um, what pieces of a particular body of writing can be shared. Um, it's kind of interesting to me because when I taught my first writing class last year, we did weekly calls and this theme probably came up in every single call. I think it's something that we're all kind of grappling with in this world of nonfiction or creative nonfiction and in this space of deeply needing to tell these truths that I think for a lot of a lot of years women have been told not to tell. Um, so there's a body of work happening right now in the world of women who are saying, no, we're going to tell these truths and we're going to write them and we're going to release them into the world and having a deep need to do so, but still that deep feminine need to respect those around us. Absolutely. I know it's something that I struggle with in my own writing and I always wonder how others find that balance. I love hearing that. What is the best advice that you've ever received about telling those truths and sharing your story? Um, there's a Hemingway quote uh, that often comes back to me, and he said, write hard and clear about what hurts. I think when I sit down to write, I'm usually more concerned about what's true and how deep can I go with the truth. And that's not as hard and, and um, clear-lined always as what we think of as true or not. Sometimes I think in my writing the truest way to tell a story isn't the most literal way. It's not always a literal recounting of the facts or the story. Sometimes I manage to tell the deep and hard truths by writing the story in a little more convoluted or a, a little more creative way. So I'm telling many stories at once or I'm telling a scene that didn't actually happen in the way that I'm writing it, but the words that come out actually encapsulate the feeling or the raw truth of that moment or experience better than I could by sharing the parts of the story that are kind of too tender or too personal or would be disrespectful to share. Absolutely. I think that's also one of the gifts of writing creative nonfiction mm -hmm. and in some ways poetry as well, but particularly creative nonfiction is that ability to look at the truth that we want to tell, the experience, the moment in time that we're trying to capture, but be able to tell it in a way that isn't just, Jane came into the room and said to me, what are you doing right now? Mm -hmm. It allows us to weave many stories together mm -hmm. and bring those threads that are all of our truths yes. into, that, each, into each piece that we write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for instance, in, you know, I have pieces that I wrote about grief and heartbreak and, you know, the breakups of relationships and all of the pieces of those stories compiled are true and they all happened in some way, but they didn't all happen in a, a, B, C, D, dot, 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 X, Y, Z fashion. They're little pieces and vignettes and memories that I've pulled from multiple times, multiple loves, um, multiple phases of my existence, but they all tell a complete and full and true story by bringing them all together. 
which is sometimes upsetting to my mother because she thinks that they're all literal <laughs> and <laughs> and current, <laughs> which they're not. This reminds me of a quote that I actually learned from you a long time ago. Audre Lorde writes, So it is better to speak, remembering that we were never meant to survive. And I have this pinned up on my desk. I've carried it with me since I heard it. And I'm wondering what this quote means to you as far as how you approach telling these stories and telling these hard truths, whether it's one relationship or seven or one death or, you know, the death of a a relationship or a moment in your life. I wonder how it feels to speak knowing that these things were never necessarily meant to be out on the page. I think that for me, that journey took a long time and it took well into my thirties. Um, I'm a preacher's daughter. I was, um, not always, I didn't always do the right thing, but I worked very hard at the perception of being the good girl and the one who always did the right thing. Uh, I had a lot invested in that reality. And so it took my own burn down and Phoenix rebirth to realize that not all the iterations of us are meant to continue with us through the rest of our lives. There's some pieces of us that we leave behind along the way. And for me, for some people, that may not come through writing. It may come through another form of art. It may come through changes in relationships or careers or structure of their lives in some way. But for me, that's through writing. And writing is a part of the way that I burn through all of that fire and uh, write into the rest of my life and figure out what comes next. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a way to leave behind, to honor what was, um, the parts that won't survive and that aren't meant to survive. You mentioned the fire, and I know that's a theme that comes up a lot in your relationship, in your relationship to writing and in your writing itself. You write, everything becomes what it must become to serve its own purpose. We never go through fire without being changed. And I wonder, what are some of the ways that you can pinpoint how that fire of transformation has come into your life and moved you through things and then come back to your writing? Uh, Yeah, fire is definitely one of the driving metaphors of my work right now and for the past few years. Um, And incidentally, I had a coach um, a few years back who had me do this exercise of coming to my writing and finding out what my driving metaphor was. At the time, it was very much um, the words that came up and the analogies that came up over and over again were break, shatter, mosaic, crystal glass, um, very much everything around breaking and then the light that came from that. And then as my life changed and as I moved to a different phase, it, it became all about the fire. And if you read my writing from the last few years, that's what you'll see over and over again. So I think for any writer listening to this, the act of going through your writing and examining it for your driving metaphor and figuring out what that is and why that is, is a really profound exercise. Um, for me, fire for the last, um, I kind of can divide my life in, in a way that not everyone can into two phases. The, the time before I was 32 and the time since. So at 32, when I came out and left my marriage and my safe and predictable life where I kind of had everything laid out in front of me and I knew how everything was going to go, um, 
it took a burning down to be able to do that. It took a burning down of everything that I knew, uh, that I thought I knew, that I thought would be, and to go right down to the ground and rise back up. And I kind of, I think I had this idea at the time that I would just do that once. That <laughs> <laughs> um, then I was in my new life and then that would roll out. And then what I've, what I've learned through my 30s is that is a continuous process for me. And it's also as difficult it is, as it is, a great part of my creative process. And not to wallow in the tortured artist trope, <laughs> but um, it is through that fire, burn down, rise again process that I think some of my best work has come out of me. Hmm. Definitely. I, I remember the phase of your writing that was about breaking and shattering. Um, <laughs> Cause I am lucky to say that I have been reading your work for a very long time. Well, thank you. And as I was preparing for this interview, I actually came across a quote by Anita Krizan, and she writes, We are mosaics, pieces of light, love, history, and stars, glued together with magic and music and words. And so I love that you mentioned the phase of your writing that was about mosaics as I came across this as, while preparing to sit down and talk with you because I think I think it it speaks to the places that your writing has come from and also now in that burning and that rebirthing to remember that we are all of those things almost simultaneously mm -hmm. uh, in our words and in our writing and in our lives and in our truths we are a constant breaking down and building back up. Mm -hmm. And and really the shatter and the mosaic and uh, the burn down and rebirth, they're, they're all a different way of saying the same thing that, and, and Audre Lorde's quote about speak, not knowing we're not meant to survive. They're all a different way of saying that not many of us get to go through this life in this pretty neat formation and stay completely whole and intact. For most of us, there is some sort of breaking or some sort of burning or some sort of, death that happens along the way and that we are composed of all that comes from that and that comes afterwards. Mm. Um, that's what we're built on. So, so really they're all saying the same thing in different ways. Yes. And beautifully. So <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about how you approach writing and how, what are some of your creative habits or if you have any personal rituals around sitting down and writing or getting the words out on the page or further past that when you are culling and cultivating and editing your work to prepare to share it? The first answer that came when you asked about writing habits uh, was the word avoidance. <laughs> um, and, and I know we're at um, interesting bunch, us writers, and that most of us will do just about anything to avoid our work. Um, it's hard, especially when you know that you're not writing usually about easy and pretty and tidied up things um, to sit down and get to that space. It's, it's definitely hard when you have a full-time job and you have children and you have a partner and you have life and you have all these things happening around you. For me, writing 95% of the time requires solitude and prep time to get into that zone. And my life doesn't offer me a whole lot of space to do that. 
which is absolutely true and also a ridiculous excuse. <laughs> um, but for me, it's so definitely solitude. Um, I have all my rituals. I have darkness and, and wine or whiskey over ice. Uh, there's certain music that I'll turn to. I'll create. If I know I'm working on something or I know there's a mood I want to cultivate, I'll sit down very quickly on Spotify, which is where I spend half of my life, uh, and create a quick playlist that kind of gets me to that space. So music is really important. Whiskey is really important. <laughs> um, candlelight, red candles. So, And these are all things that I know don't actually help me write, but it's the ritual of preparing for writing that gets me in that place. So I know that none of those things have any actual power over the words that come, but what they do have power over is reminding me kind of just like laying your gym clothes out and at night before you go to bed and putting them on first thing in the morning. Um, the candles and the whiskey and the music are what remind me that this is writing time. It, it's not time to be on Twitter or Facebook and it's not time to be uh, doing anything else. Sometimes I feel as if I start all my nights the same way. The wine was red, the chocolate was dark, the music was French. Sometimes it feels as if life turns on a dime, but in reality it seems it shifts entirely on the fall of a single lucky penny. There are times I think I can believe in everything again, and I'm pretty sure I owe that to the sun setting over the ocean. Sometimes my melancholy gets the better of me, yet there are those for whom my smiles come easy. Some days I almost always know exactly who I am, and still there are endless hours when I sink deep into the mystery of myself. I am aware that if I begin driving now, there are countless places I could be before the sun rises again. I embrace my want and my wholeness and all that is broken and yearning. Right now, it seems possibility is everywhere, but that might just be because the candles are flickering, the wine is red, the chocolate is dark, and the music is French. Hmm. That's beautiful. And that was just happened to be up on the computer, but that was that was one of those nights where I'd done all my things. <laughs> yes. And those were the words. So that's a part of it for me for sure. Hmm. Do you find that you are do you find that you experience moments where you just have to write where the words are burning inside you and you just have to get them out no matter what you have with you, uh, whether it's the back of a receipt or the back of a napkin or in a journal. Do you have habits around carrying things with you or getting things out when they're burning in you? Yes. I have a stack of little teeny journals that I kept for years and years and I would always have one of those with me. And I actually love to go back through them because they're filled with quotes I would read or little bits of my writing or uh, words that friends would say that would prompt something. And then in the age of smartphones, I kind of gave that up. And now I have 138,000 voice memos <laughs> because something comes, you know, while you're driving on the freeway. It's totally unsafe. I didn't, I didn't actually say that I, <laughs> that I record things while driving um, or the notes on my, on my phone. And I don't love that process as much. I loved my little journals, but somehow this has become an easier way of making sure I get it. The interesting part to me, and I don't know if this happens to you, is when I go back and I think, did I really write that? All I have the time. no recollection. I have no recollection of writing it. I don't know where it came from because sometimes it's a snippet or a line that doesn't have any context. Um, sometimes I have to Google it to make sure it's not somebody else's line to make <laughs> sure I have the right to keep to writing it. Um, 
but these words will come out of nowhere and they, yeah, they need to be recorded right then. And so I record them and it sometimes takes months or years before I come back to them. But sometimes when I'm stuck, that's what I'll do. I'll sit down with my voice memos and I'll transcribe them all in a bunch and try to decode them and figure out which ones go together and put them all into a document and then see what comes next. I have to admit that I, I definitely love the voice memo feature on my phone. Mm-hmm. I used to live with a tape recorder with a mini cassette in my car and I would get in the car to take a drive, uh, usually a long drive somewhere, and I would just hit play and I would start talking. Mm-hmm. And it would allow me to talk through things and I might write poetry, I might write part of an essay, I might say nothing in all of consequence and just delete it and record over it the next day. But I think with the advent of smartphones, there are, as you mentioned, Good sides and bad sides. I miss carrying around a notebook. And mm-hmm. I almost always have either a journal or a notebook in my purse, but I don't always, you know, take my purse in with me. Or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'll grab my wallet and leave the purse in the car. And so I think there, there is that sort of hidden blessing of being constantly connected to a device is that yes. I can, when I need to, escape into that being able to talk and send a voice memo and be able to hear myself later and go, oh, wow, I really did write this. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember this. I couldn't tell you where I was or what I was doing, but I really did say these words. And Yes, absolutely. I think that's a huge, huge help for me. I spend a lot of time driving people to places and things in my life, and I think the important thing is that when I'm in the car, I can just pull out that phone mm-hmm. or waiting. Oh, I have five minutes before this kid comes out and is going to get in this car. I better, you know, start talking. So I think that that's a, that can be a good habit to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Yes. To I do keep me. saying I'm going to get back to my journals, but it hasn't happened as much yeah. in the last few years. Uh, I'm a huge collector of quotes. If anyone listening follows my Twitter or my Facebook, you'll know that, that I hoard them and then share them. Uh, I can't get enough of other people's words. So that's a huge thing. Uh, I don't read as much as I should, but it used to come from books. Again, that's one of those things that's fallen in the wayside in this life that I'm living that seems to be lived in three to five minute sound bites. Uh, it's just a damn shame, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think and then conversations like these, uh, I think I told you when, when you first asked me to do this that I've been thinking about doing this for years, that I'll have these conversations with beautiful, incredible women in my life. And I think, gosh, I wish that was recorded because there's so much truth and so much beauty just within this everyday conversation we're having. And I wish that I could just have a a mic set up on everybody and then share yes. those with the world. So I think it's beautiful what you're doing here because I think that's part of that. I think it's really important to have these conversations. When I got the idea for creating this podcast, I was talking it through with a friend and I was like, the most important thing is that this is not an interview. Mm-hmm. This is not, uh, you know, this is a dialogue. It's a, it's really designed to be sitting on the sofa sharing with one another. Mm-hmm. And when I ask women and when I asked you, to come into this space with me 
I really wanted to set that intention mm-hmm. of, you know, this is a real conversation. We are we are friends, we are colleagues, we are writers on this journey of seeking our truth. And this is most important to me because we have these conversations. We have them over the phone and by text message. And sometimes if we're lucky by email, which is a little bit better record. Mm-hmm. But we don't end up sharing all of the good stuff that comes with these conversations. And so I'm really honored that you were willing to step up and say, yes, I'll have this conversation because it is so important. And I love that I get to share our conversation with the world. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing. And I think that, again, a a symptom of the world that we live in, we don't have our tribe necessarily close and tightly knit. I know I did much more when my kids were little, but as everyone grows and everyone's life changes and people move away, um, and then this crazy thing that is the internet, my tribe of creative women is so widespread. So I don't get the chance to sit down with them, you know, face to face and, and have these soul talks. So anything, any way we can use the technology available to us to facilitate what we don't have in real life, I think gives us a gift and something we're craving. Definitely. And I hope that kind of soul talk is what comes out of these conversations. Mm-hmm. Very much so. What are you devouring these days? Oh, goodness. Dark chocolate. <laughs> um, I feel like my life right now is is quite off balance, actually. Uh, and I've been struggling a lot with that. Um, I have a long commute to work. I work full time um, at a wonderful place, but it, it is not spending my days in my creative zone the way I used to. So I struggle with that. I think I, I probably need to spend more time devouring period. Um, so it's an interesting question that you asked me and it kind of, it kind of made me hit a little bit of a wall (laughs) where I went, I, (laughs) um, I need to slow down and spend more time taking in because it's, it's go, 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 go. And I think that that's also something that so many creative women that I know are struggling with. How do we fit in that quiet? Um, how do we fit in that time to soak in art or music or writing or great food um, when our lives are not set up that way? So, yeah, you just hit a nerve. <laughs> uh, right now I'm reading Joan Didion, um, who is one of my favorites reading and rereading Jeanette Winterson. Always I go back to, um, who else is on my bookshelf right now? I have a habit of starting several books at once and taking forever to get through all of them because I just pick up a different one each time. Yep. Guilty. (laughs) Um, Anne Lamott spending a lot of time with her words these days and seeking them out. And sometimes it's not reading a book, but it's, I'll go and I mean, I love Goodreads. If I'm in Anne Lamott mood or I can go to Goodreads and, search for her quotes and just soak in those and see where those take me. And yeah, Spotify and music. Music is a huge part of life for me and I create soundtracks for absolutely everything, for most pieces of writing, um, for most moods that I have. That kind of helps me track and coax out what I need to and also sometimes coax my me away from places that I don't need to be. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of my life too. 
It's interesting. You mentioned Spotify mm-hmm. and having playlists there. And one of the other things that I love about your work is that you also will record your writing and you will share that recording with others. People can find your work on SoundCloud where you have a collection of recordings. And I want to share one of those right now. It's called Teach Me How to Be Loved. It's scary, this love thing. The sweet vulnerability of extension. The naked of here I am. The tentative reaching of outstretched arms, the wide open of hope. We all get a little lost here. Wish we knew how to do it better. Wish it were cleaner and more gentle and a little easier to understand. We welcome the headlong rush of it just as we try to run away. Teach me how to be loved. We all say this over and over again, in different words or with the shift and sway of our bodies or in the silent spaces where words are left behind. Teach me how to be loved. Let me show you how to love me well. School me in the workings of your heart, in the language of your bones. Let my open palm memorize the shape of your face. Tell me the stories of your scars so I can trace them with the honor of understanding. Do you see this fault line? It's where I was broken over and over again by the ones who came before you. Are you willing to take that in? My wide open eyes? My truth lives here if you look for it. I have been loved by those who didn't care to discover all that I am. Will you be the one to see me whole? It gets tangled sometimes. The purity of beginnings become a hazy twist of expectations, the intermingling of past hurts and future fears. We are the product of all that has already been and all that we hope will one day become. We carry with us the bone memory of the loves that we have held and all that has been lost. We don't ever come into love without the echo of our past singing its siren song. Can we do this? Can we find in this love a gossamer thread of redemption to coax into a late-night tangle of limbs and lazy Sunday mornings? Will you follow me into the interplay of light and shadow? Will you dance with me here, where the light and dark within me can mingle with the good and bad of you? Teach me how to be loved. It is a relentless forgiveness that allows us to return here again and again, past the tears and the leaving and the broken spaces, back into the hope of more and the possibility of again. We are made for this, for the sweet vulnerability of now, for the outreach past fear and into unknown, for the extension and the unwrapping, even for the fault lines and the bittersweet of no longer ours. We are an ancient sort of resilient, made for the falling and the rising, made for the rose-colored glasses and honeyed lips and finding new home in another, made for the burning down and the rebuilding from ashes, made for the holy wonder of beginning again. Teach me how to be loved. Show me how to love you well. Our hearts speak fluent optimist even when we try to cloak the hopeful whispers in layers of pessimism masquerading as protection. We are here to love, to speak our mother tongue to lovers who may stay or may go, 
to learn the body rhythms of forever and of just for now. We are here to open to the bliss and the risk and the possibility inherent in every beginning. Teach me how to be loved. Let me learn how to love you. Start now. I'm paying attention. I was made for this. So were you. What is the importance to you of putting sound behind your words? And how did you decide to start recording your pieces and sharing them? I think it's twofold. There's one side that's purely mechanical. So I began the act of recording because it helps me decipher where the awkward pieces are or where are the pieces that don't tie together or um, where the sentences that don't actually sound in words the way they, I think they're going to sound on the page. So part of the, in the beginnings, um, it was just to find the flow in my writing a little better and get better at that part. Uh, it was also for quite a while, and I've kind of let this go, but I had quite a desire to do spoken word poetry and to get on stage and read. And so part of recording was pushing myself to get better at that and to face the fears. Great, huge, freeze me into a block of ice fears that I have around um, speaking. Um, and then I think it becomes it became more of that, um, not because I want to get on stage anymore necessarily and pursue spoken word in any real way, but because my journey is always about pushing myself a little bit further than I'm comfortable. So the recordings are not comfortable. They feel like even one step more naked than the words that I put out there because that's my voice and that's something that's usually just for the people in my life or in my circle. Um, but it it comes to feel a part of the ritual. Uh, so recording a piece and putting it out there is the next step after writing it. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll do many in a row and sometimes I won't do it for a while, but I, I kind of just trust my heart on that one. Mm. I love how you talk about using the recording as a way to work through, uh, I think that is so important because sometimes when we are writing, everything on the page looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. And and then we sit down and actually read it a week, a month, a year later and say, wow, this is all not in the right order and it doesn't flow and these are pieces that don't work together. Mm -hmm. But when we take that time to sit down and actually record ourselves, even if it's just on our phones, mm-hmm. and listen back, I think that can have a huge impact on our process as well, and really yes. finding our way through that. Yes. And as an aside, I don't own any fancy recording. That They're all on my phone with a headset from, you know, that I paid $9.99 for at Ross <laughs> with a little mic on it. Nothing fancy. Um, there usually is eight or nine versions of each one before I get it right, not just not flub the recording, which I do, but also to make all the tweaks and changes that only come up after I read a line. And one of the, you know, the wisest and most simple uh, pieces of writing advice I've ever been given is write like you speak. And so it's sometimes it's not until I read something that I realize that's not my voice at all. Either that's someone else's or that's me attempting to take on something that's not mine. So the process of reading it and then forcing myself to listen, which is never comfortable either. Uh, I probably won't listen to this <laughs> recording. <laughs> um, 
is part of that, is part of that really figuring out um, if what I have written is the truest truth. Mm. And that comes down to both the content and the mechanics of it. Does it sound like something I would sit down and tell you face-to-face? Does it sound like me? I think that's a great way to measure anything that we put out in the world creatively. Does this Mm -hmm. sound like me? That's beautiful. That really is. What is the mark that you want to leave on the world? That's a funny thing. So I'm sitting in my bedroom, cross-legged on my bed, um, and... To my right, there is, you know, some picture shelves, and on one of them is a picture that I recently found. And I don't know how many years ago I did it, but I was walking alone on the beach um, in Nova Scotia, where I'm from, and the tide was out, the highest tides in the world there. So when the tide is out, there's actually no water. So this big, giant rock was um, that's usually underwater was was out, and I took a piece of gypsum which is like a white chalk rock <laughs> and I wrote I will make my mark on this world and I, uh, I took a picture of it and lost it for years and years and then found it last year and framed it what that means I don't really know I think it's meant a million different things to me at a million different times and I think sometimes it changes from day to night in one day um, I think it really means living my truth um, out loud continually putting checks and balances on myself to make sure I am acting in a way that aligns with what I believe. And I don't always, sometimes I'm a total ass. (laughs) Um, I'm keeping my language clean on this. I don't know if I need to, (laughs) I was going to say something else. Um, So making sure my life and my art and my work um, in the world as a mother, as a friend, um, aligns with the deepest heart of me. Uh, And I think that my mark is made in many ways through that. And, And whether that's because someone will read my writing and it will give them something they need in that moment it may be through that. I don't, I, I don't necessarily see great riches and fame ahead. That's never something that really drives me. Um, I think it's just continuing to live as true as I can mm. and seeing what comes of that. I can't imagine anything better to live in truth. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest thing of all. So hard. <laughs> but it's also... I think when we hold that as our as our goal, as mm-hmm. our um, not even I think as an ideal, but as you know, at the end of the day, to mm-hmm. to climb into bed and to say to ourselves, "Have I lived in truth?" Mm-hmm. and and to be okay that some days the answer might be no, but I can try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Some days the answer will be yes, and I can say, good on me. That's what I want. And I think it's important to note that living in truth doesn't mean always living the prettiest or cleanest version. Um, Sometimes I think as a woman living in truth means welcoming in that fire or that chatter or the hard um, and learning to get 
comfortable with that space because that's what your truth requires. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's not all flowers and sunshine. <laughs> no. And I have I have lived for my highest self and and I've made the world a better place. It's not always that. Um, sometimes living in truth means being willing to go through the really hard things. Um, I wrote a piece last year, um, and it's titled after um, a line in Lydia Yuknovich's book. I think you've probably read it, The Chronology of Water. Phenomenal um, book. Yes, incredible. Top book of all time. Please read it, everybody. Um, but she she says, she's, I'm trying to tell you the truth of a woman like me. So I wrote a post called The Truth of a Woman Like Me. And, and it was all about that. Like telling the truth means owning the ugly and the hard and the selfish and the stuff that doesn't look good from the outside and the things I'm not supposed to say. Um, and to live that not just for me, but for my daughters. It feels very, very, very important because I'm the mother of daughters. Definitely. And so they are also my mark on the world and, and the way I raise them to live their own truths. Well, I want to give you a chance to share a piece of wisdom, something, something that you feel called to say directly to those people who are listening to this podcast. Not just me, but to everybody out there. And I want to give you that chance now. I think, and you know, I, this goes back also, I guess, to the question of how I make my mark on the world and what my work is in the world. And I'm, it's taken me years of trying to sort it out, and it could change next week. <laughs> um, I don't know a dang thing about writing, really. I have no training in it. I didn't even take English in college. <laughs> I don't know anything about Oxford commas. So today, to think I could teach anyone about writing uh, seems a little bit foolish. Um, but what I do believe in are stories and voices and truths. And so I think my work in this world and in telling my story is to help show people and women in specific, because my work always does feel guided by a very feminine hand, um, that their stories matter and whether they choose to tell them just to themselves or scrawl them in their journal or speak them in their voice or write them into words or publish a book, it does not really matter. But the stories that have formed you, that have built you, that you were living, they're actually important and valid and true. They're not, they don't have to be Hollywood pretty. They don't have to be blockbuster exciting, um, but that they matter they matter and that the world needs us to tell them in the way that it is most true and authentic for us to tell our stories. Um, that they're, it is actually earth shatteringly revolutionary to own your story and unleash your voice and speak it in whatever way is most true for you. Definitely. I think that's phenomenal wisdom and a good reminder to everybody to tell your story. Jeanette, I have loved talking with you today. This has been so great and so nourishing. Mm -hmm. uh, if people want to learn more about you and your work and your writing, they can find you at peacelovefree.com over at Rebel, where you share your writing as well. And your audio recordings are available on SoundCloud. I can't thank you enough for sitting down with me today 
and having this conversation. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you and with everyone else in the future. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Sarah. It's been beautiful. You have been listening to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. For more information about this and all of our episodes, please visit in-her-room.com. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Thank you for listening.